you're listening to the Pomerado Christian Church Sermon Podcast. Thank you for spending time with us today. If you're a weekly listener, welcome back. If this is your first time, we're so glad you're here and hope you consider subscribing. If you're in your car, on a run, doing things around the house, or working out, and want to connect even further and take next steps with us, visit pomerado.info. Now, enjoy this week's message. Well, welcome again, everybody. It is good to see all of you who are here with us in person. want to welcome those of you who are joining us online. Uh, maybe you're watching live. Maybe you're watching or listening later throughout the week. And so no matter when it is that you are part of our sermon today, I believe that God um, has a message for each and every one of us. Again, whether you're live, whether you're watching later, recognizing that um, God loves each and every one of you more than you can understand. And I know we talk about, oh, God loves you, God loves you. If you learn or hear or or understand nothing more than that this morning, and if that's what you can take as you leave these doors or turn off your screen is the fact that you are loved by God to a degree to which you can't fathom, well, then that will have been a worshipful, meaningful, powerful time together. And if we've not met yet, my name is JP. I love an opportunity to meet um, after the service or if you're joining us just to get connected to our church. We're so grateful for this time together. We are in a series called Remarkable, looking at the books, excuse me, the miracles in the book, the gospel of Mark. And it all comes from Mark chapter six, verse two, when it talks about people looking and commenting on the remarkable miracles that Jesus was doing at that time. And so, I want to just start off uh, the bat today recognizing that, you know, last week we talked about some heavy things, the idea of being freed from suffering, whether that's a physical ailment or whether that's emotional or spiritual heartache. But today we're also going to talk about a a heavy, difficult topic for many of us, that we're all in various degrees of of, uh, experiencing this with loved ones or maybe in the process of, of seeing this happen to others as well. But it's this acknowledgement of the fact that we're going to be looking at Mark chapter 5 and the story of how Jesus raises Jairus' daughter from the dead. And we'll learn more about who Jairus is. We'll learn a little bit more about that. But this idea that we're talking about the shadow of death today, the idea that it's something that can loom over us. And for some of us, we, that is something that we understand intellectually that death is real and that's something that happens to all of us. But it's something that we could compartmentalize or put away or, or not think about. Others of us might be in the throes of grief as we speak. And so acknowledging that in a room this size and not knowing who's joining us online, recognizing that this is a heavy topic. But as a pastor, I have uh, the honor of being able to be part of officiating at different memorial services. And, and in those times, it's being able to to, to speak truth in love, to be able to come alongside grieving family and friends, to acknowledge that when we remember loved ones, that there are um, funny things that we can laugh and, and enjoy and difficult things and everything in between. But recognize that when I've done memorial services before, I have some that are just so beautiful, so such an honor to be a part of because you just see the life well lived by these people, these individuals have been a blessing to so many around them. And then there are other times when you go and you have like an like a open mic time and people share. And I've been parts of services where I'll, I'm sitting there watching and it's people who are sharing. And because in the midst of their grief, they don't always know how to navigate this. And so they want to be funny or they want to kind of make things lighthearted. But then they go off and they share stories that 
if I was, you know, at my memorial, I wouldn't want some of these stories shared. And it's one of those where they're just like, oh, like there's this time when, you know, he totally like beat up this person. And you're like, like, is that what the last words that we're going to be remembering this person with? Or hearing about, you know, various vices that different people have. Like, oh, like, you know him. He always likes to drink or whatever it is. And you're thinking, this is not what necessarily what we'd want to be said at our memorial service. And so when we think about this, it's moments like memorials or funerals that maybe you're standing at a graveside. Maybe you're being able to just sit and listen. And the reality of death seems to, to be a shadow that lurks behind us. For some of us, that shadow is more looming, whether from illness or just stage of life. For others, it feels like it's in the background, but we know, you know, I know that, that we're gonna have a point where we all will have our time here on earth be done. And so friends, what I wanna take a couple moments to do this morning is to be able to talk through the idea of the shadow of death. And I know when we hear that verbiage, we automatically go to Psalm 23, verse 4, right? Like, I will, though, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me, your rod and your staff. They comfort me. Like, we think about that. And so even in the shadow of death, what's it look like to receive comfort from God? What does it look like for us to think now about how and what we want to be said about us at our memorial services? Do we want them to be able to joke about a vice that we had? Or do we want to live so well that prepares us to die well, that prepares others to be blessed through that time? So we're going to take a moment. This is going to be a little heavier in some ways. And in other ways, sometimes the heavy topics that we fail to address or we don't address as frequently are the exact topics that we need to hear. And to not just hear what the world says about death, but to hear what God's word says about death. So will you join me in a word of prayer as we prepare our, our hearts and our minds for this time, um, acknowledging the weight of this topic. Heavenly Father, I thank you for each person who is part of our service today, whether they're live in person, live online, watching or listening later throughout the week. God, I pray that you, uh, Holy Spirit, would, would go before me in this time, that as we talk about these things, knowing that there are people in this room who are very recently mourning the loss of loved ones, knowing that there are others in this room who have loved ones who are in the midst of, of um, terminal diseases, knowing that in this time we wrestle with death because it's something that we know will happen, but Lord, instead of it always being in the back of our minds, may we gracefully and, and in a way that honors you Look at the reality of it today, and in so doing, be able to have your light shine through this heavy topic rather than to be found in the darkness through it. So Lord, I pray that as we dive into your word, that I would decrease, that you would increase, that you would speak in a personal, powerful, impactful way to each and every one of us. Lord, we love you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So we're going to be in Mark chapter 5. We're actually going to start in verse 21 to to start our story, but um, you know, I always have points, and some of you are note-takers, some of you aren't, and that's okay, uh, however it is that you best learn. And so I have to warn you before we put the next slide up that this next point is a little blunt, but it's spoken in the truth and love. And it's not one that you are unaware of, but it's one that's important for us to remember, and that's as simple as everyone dies. Every one of us. There will be a time when we will take our last breath on this earth. Now, we don't know when that is, And so because we don't know when that is, what does it look like for us to live well 
in regards, in, in preparation for that. And some of you are note takers and you're probably like, I don't really know if I want to write everyone dies on the top of my notes this morning. But let's speak this truth lovingly. It's acknowledging that by, when we don't talk about something important, that doesn't honor or that doesn't show respect. That just means that it's hard for us and that's okay. So let's look into how we navigate this. And so Peter Roblin wrote a book called Mercy in the Time of Dying that um, as a pastor, uh, it's really good to kind of know how to navigate and reading stories of people as they're dying and how it is that those who are suffering often provide such mercy and grace to those who are intending to go bless them, but they in turn are blessed. He says this, he says that death is that frightening unknown that lurks in the depths of our unconscious mind, like a great shadow that hangs over us. It troubles us, but we have a hard time articulating the trouble. It makes us uneasy, but we don't know exactly why. The shadow of death is hard to perceive, but we know it's there. And whenever we bump up against it, it frightens us and we, and we run away and hide. It's when we watch movies and we see scenes where it's, it, the character dies and you see, you see a glimpse of like, oh, I see light. Or, or what's that moment going to be like when our life ends here on earth? And what will our next, what will the next face be that we see when we open them again? And we recognize that this is something that's perpetually in the back of a mind, like a shadow that looms over us. Sometimes it looms over us stronger and greater than other times, but we recognize that it's something that we need to be able to discuss. We need to be able to talk about, and we need to be able to see what God says about death. In fact, Peter Roblin continues on. He says, talking about death is not morbid, nor is it distasteful. It is important and life-giving. The closer one looks at death, the less frightful death becomes. Now, this all is contingent upon where we are in regards to death. If we feel like death is something that is going to happen so many years from now, we don't even know, then we might think, okay, yeah, like it's not, you know, I'm not that scared about it because, you know, I've got so much time. But friends, we are not promised the rest of today, let alone tomorrow, let alone next week, month, year, decade. So if death is a shadow that looms over us, if death is something in the back of our minds and we think we have time, what do we do when it knocks on our door unexpectedly? What do we do when it comes out of seemingly nowhere, either to our loved ones or, until, or unless if we come into a point where we're in an accident or something and, or, or an illness and we realize oh my goodness, death may be so much closer than I originally thought. So everyone, you, me, everyone we've ever loved, everyone that we ever will love will die. And the point is, how do we live well so we can die well, so we can honor God in the midst of it? See, part of the reason Peter Roblin says it's hard for us to, to, to verbalize or to articulate why it is hard for us when we think about death but one of the points is that we see in Ecclesiastes 4 talks about this, but it's this idea that we were made for eternity. That's why we want to fight up against death. When we know that we were, God, Ecclesiastes 4 talks about we were created, we were made for eternity. And so the idea is when death comes, whether it's suddenly or whether it's prolonged over time, we want to fight up against it. And there are so many incredible different um, 
medical things that have come and, and ways to prolong lives. And that's beautiful. That's wonderful. But if it causes us to think that then, you know, we, we are in control, we must recognize that we do not know the days of our lives. We do not know how much time we have. And so we know that we remain for eternity. And so when our bodies die, our souls live on. And we were designed and created for that. We were t- designed and created to have relationship with God, to love him and enjoy him and glorify him. And so when we recognize that we fight against death, both for ourselves, but also for our loved ones. Let's jump right into the story here because Jairus, as we'll see, is at a point where he's fighting up against the death of his daughter and completely understandably. So Mark chapter five, starting in verse 21, we're just gonna read the first few verses, 21 through 24, says this. When Jesus had again crossed over by boat to the other side of the lake, a large crowd gathered around him while he was by the lake. Now you might be saying this sounds familiar. Well, that's because what we see is that Mark uses what's called a, a, he, Bible scholars call it a Markin, as in Mark, sandwich, in which he introduces a story, then he has another story in the middle, and then he ends the story. So this is the beginning of the story that we actually read last week about the woman who was freed from her suffering, because this is after Jesus goes and heals the demoniac in, Ma- in Mark 5, 1 through 20. Then he comes back to the side of the lake where the Jewish people were near Capernaum. And then it's that point where he hears about Jairus. One of the synagogue leaders named Jairus came, and when he saw this, he fell at his feet. He pleaded earnestly with him, my little daughter is dying. Please come and put your hands on her so that she will be healed and lived. So Jesus went with him. Let's go to the next slide, please. We look at my little daughter is dying. And so let's contrast things here for a moment. Jairus was a synagogue leader. In other words, within the place of Capernaum, the synagogue that Jesus preached at, the one that they had seen many miracles happen through Mark 1 through 4 already, that he's saying, and he's saying, if he, he's someone that has great status, that people would know who he is, that he would be respected amongst the religious elite, that him going to Jesus would actually be a pretty last gasp effort because in so many ways, the synagogue rulers were, were starting to go up against what Jesus was saying because he was teaching something new and he had an authority, like we talked about in the first week of our series, he had an authority that was different from what he said and what he did, that how he preached and taught and then the miracles that followed it showed an authority that the synagogue rulers, the, the religious elite were not ready for and didn't want to agree with. And so thinking about this idea of Jairus getting to the point where he says, my little daughter's dying. You know, we'll find out uh, later in the passage that his daughter, we don't have her name, but his daughter was 12 years old. Shaylin, our oldest, the, one of the ones who's promoting into middle school is 11 and a half. And so I think about the memories from 11 and a half years of being a dad to our girl. And I think about Elise, who's seven and coming upon eight, and think about the memories of our girl. Thinking about, the fact that when, um, you know, when they're little, just little inside jokes that we have. The fact that when Shay was really little and she did something good, I would give her a fist bump and then I'd give her a thumbs up fist bump and we would do that. The fact that Elise, when she was really little, she would put up uh, her face and I would just get the bottom of her chin and I'd go, rah, 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 and she'd go, rah, 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 and it was just the cutest thing. I'm like, you want to do rah, rahs? Now she's like, dad, I'm seven, you know? So, um, but no, it's just these little things that happen. 
It's the memories of just yesterday on Facebook, a memory pops up from 10 years ago when Shaylin was one and a half, almost two, and she says Jesus for the first time. There's a little, little devotional Bible that we have, a little kid's Bible, and it's a picture of Jesus. I'm like, who's that? She goes, Jesus. I was like, who is that? Jesus. I was like, Jesus? She's like, yes. Like, like a snake. Like, it was amazing. And then it's thinking about the highs and the lows, those beautiful moments, the difficult moments with our kids. And then it's thinking about trying to put my, myself in Jairus' sandals to the point where a 12-year-old girl, his, the only daughter we know of, right? So we, it doesn't say he has other kids. And all of a sudden, she's, she's so sick that at first, you know, maybe they, they, they try to think of different ways. But picture this moment of Jairus thinking, I have to go find Jesus because I've seen him lay hands on those who are sick and they're healed. I, I don't know if I agree with everything that he says. I don't know all this. When our moments of facing death take place and we fight up against what death looks like, what do we do? We run and we say, God, can you help? Even if we're so far from God or even if we've missed the boat on who he is, we say, God, and we cry out to him. And thinking about the fact that, is it possible that she was laying on her bed in, in their house and he realizes, he tells his wife, I need to go find Jesus. And his wife says, don't you dare. What, what happens if she dies while you're gone? You need to be here with us. You need to be here for me. Imagine the moment where he kisses his daughter on the forehead and doesn't know if, she'll, if he'll ever see her alive again. Imagine the moment where he hugs his wife goodbye and says, but I have to go. Jesus may be our only hope. And leaves a grieving mom in order to try to be a dad that can find help for his daughter. Imagining all the times with the ups and the downs he would have experienced as being a dad to a 12-year-old girl and thinking, I'll do, God, Jesus, my daughter is dying. Can you help? And we see this, and I love that Jesus says, yeah, I'll go. But there's a dynamic that takes place between Jesus' declaration that he will depart and the arrival of Jesus at the house. And it's this delay that while we celebrated it last week, imagine this passage through the eyes of Jairus. Synagogue leader, well-known, well-respected, someone that was wealthy, someone that was popular, someone that people knew and said, oh, that's, that's Jairus, and why is he coming to Jesus? And as he's going there, we see that from our passage last week that it's during this time the crowd is around them, and the woman who has no name, who has been an outcast because of her disease, has been far from community, is there, and he, she grabs the hem of Jesus' robes and provides him, he provides healing for her. And all of a sudden, Jairus thinks, but we got to go. My little girl is dying. Why are you helping someone else when you said you would help me? Why, Jesus, are you delaying when my timetable is so terrifying? Why do you delay? We may not use that exact verbiage, but if we ever... Ask God that question. God, why do you delay in answering my prayers? Why is it that I see you working miracles in the lives of those around me? And yet here I am, and I'm struggling. I'm feeling heartache. My loved one is still ill or still dying. Why? 
And friends, I've said this before, I do not have the answer to the why question. I don't know why God answers some prayers some ways. Why is it yes to some? Why is it not yet to others? Why is it no to even others? I don't know the why, but that's why we need to take hold of the who. So we might say, I don't know who Jesus is. Jairus didn't fully understand who Jesus was. He just said, I've seen him make, do miracles. And in the delay, how do you think Jairus felt? Do you think that Jairus was thinking, who is this woman who doesn't even have any rapport or, or, or reputability around here, coming in and interrupting my plan of be able to raise and save my daughter? Is it possible that he was bitter? That you look at the cup and he looks at it half empty and says, how is this possible? Why did this happen? And now I have to face what's next. Or is it possible? Is it possible that when he saw Jesus heal this woman, is it possible that his faith could have said, okay, I know he could do it. He did it for her. I just saw him do it for her. Maybe he can do it for my girl as well. My little girl who's dying. See, everyone dies. We know that. We also know that we want to fight up against it. We'll do whatever it takes to protect our loved ones from dying, to, to prolong this because we've been created for eternity. We, we are souls that are meant to be with Jesus forever. And so when we face death, when we face death, we, will, we can either do so with fear or with faith. Again, this isn't new, but it is important. It's acknowledging that all of us will face death, whether it's in a moment and we least expect it or whether it's prolonged over time, all of us will be face-to-face -face with death at some point. So how does Jesus respond? You're going to notice, I just read Mark 25, 21 through 24a. Notice the reference here, right? So now we go to the next slide, and it's Mark 5:35. So within 24b through 34 is the story of the woman who is healed. And so Jairus is probably looking at his watch. It's probably the time where there's like, a, like an accident on the freeway. Like I need to get to the hospital or whatever it is. While Jesus was still speaking, some people came from the house of Jairus, the synagogue leader. Your daughter is dead, they said. Why bother the teacher anymore? The little girl that he remembers for 11 and a half years, or 12 years, excuse me. I was picturing my life at this point. The little girl he's known for 12 years, he went on a last gasp effort to, to reach out to Jesus for healing. And in the time, for us it's nine verses, for him it feels like an eternity. Within the time from when Jesus said he'd come and then the moment when he, Jairus finds out his daughter is dead, whatever modicum of faith that he had, you could just feel it deflating. Because he'd seen Jesus heal he hadn't seen Jesus raised from the dead. So that's why his friends, like, the teacher, why bother him? Death is final in their mind. Like, there's nothing else that can be done. Why bother him anymore? This Greek word for here, overhearing is interesting because it's, it's kind of the idea of, you know, if, if, you're talk, you're, if you're here and you hear someone having a conversation over this way and you can hear what they're talking about, right? So you're overhearing it. But it also has a connotation of, like ignoring what was said. And so it's this idea of, they're like, oh, your daughter is dead. And it's almost like Jesus like, I hear that, but that's not the end of the story. 
let's keep going. He says, Jesus told him, don't be afraid, just believe. These phrases, don't be afraid, just believe, are five, that, those five words are words that are so much easier to take hold of when things are going well. They're so much easier when our kids, our spouse, our, whoever, our loved ones are healthy. It's so much easier when life feels at peace. Don't be afraid. Why would I be afraid? Everything's good. Just believe. Of course I believe. I have the evidence that things are good. But don't be afraid. Just believe. When your only daughter dies, when the last bit of hope, that last gasp effort is extinguished, it's a lot harder. And Jesus says, you can face this moment of death with the fear that is so natural and common for all of us. Or you can go, instead of with fear, being afraid, you can have faith. To be clear, does that mean that Jesus is going to raise everyone from the dead? No. We know this. But it means that we can have faith in the who, even when we don't understand the why. It means that we can have faith in the who, even when the when is delayed. We can have faith in the who when we don't understand the how. And we can have faith in the who when we say, where is God? But we can still hold fast to the hope that we have, like an anchor to our souls, the hope that we have in Jesus. And again, Jairus doesn't know all this yet. We have the benefit of hindsight 2,000 years later being able to see what will happen. But put yourself in Jairus' sandals. Your last gasp effort is gone. That kiss on her forehead... That was the last time you'd see her alive. Your wife is going to see you and think, why did you leave me in the moment of our daughter's death? And all he has at this point is Jesus' five words, don't be afraid, just believe. See, Tish Harrison Warren, an author, says this. She talks about death. She says, whatever the metaphysics of death, there is a time when our bodies waste away. No more taste or smell or sound. But friends, this is why we fight against death. But it is not the way it was supposed to be. But if we sentimentalize death and minimize its brutality, we end up often unwillingly belittling the hope of the resurrection. If we don't recognize that death is hard, death is painful, that there is grief, if it's just like when it comes to like telling your kids that your pet just you know, went off to a farm upstate or something, it's like if we don't acknowledge that death is real, then how much are we losing the reality of the power of the resurrection? Death is tough. Death is painful. It is heart-wrenching and gut-wrenching. It's the memories of not just the past of what's happened, it's the pain of the present, and it's the fact that you won't have the same future. It's sitting in this whirlwind of emotion and this pain. You think, I can either face this with fear because if this turns my world upside down, then I have nothing to hold on to in the midst of difficult times. Or we can try our best to not be afraid and believe and to hold fast to who Jesus is. We don't want to belittle the power of the hope of the resurrection by pretending that death isn't a big deal. Yes, there is grief and heartache. Pain of the past, the difficulty of the present, and the longing for a future that isn't going to happen with that person. But 
But if we don't sit in that pain of death and grief and mourning, we miss out on the beautiful life-giving moment of the resurrection. If Good Friday Jesus died and the disciples had dinner and all of a sudden he was better again, they'd probably be pretty happy, right? But they'd probably be like, oh, he wasn't really dead or do we really even know what happened? He probably passed out. This moment for Jairus is like Holy Saturday. It's the time in between the death and the devastation that rocks your world forever. And he doesn't know the resurrection's coming, so he's sitting in Saturday. And some of the message that that Holy Saturday that Jesus has for us is don't be afraid, just believe. When I was in India several years ago, I've shared many of the stories before, but here's a picture of what it was like at the Mother Teresa Home for the Dying. And I've shared the story how there's all these different cots and um, you have massage oil um, and you just kind of rub uh, a little oil on their skin just to be able to give them honor while they're dying. That was the whole idea, was with the different caste system in India was to reach the untouchables, the lowest of the low and the poorest of the poor, and to give them dignity while they were dying. We couldn't speak to them. They didn't understand. I didn't understand Hindi or Bengali. They didn't understand English. But you're just there, and you're just trying to to minister to them, to literally just serve by just putting massage oil on. And I remember I was only at this home for one day. I went to a different home um, for the rest of my time there. But I remember there was one particular patient that he was, uh, one particular man who was laying down, and I was doing that, and he couldn't even open up his eyes. He, He hadn't been eating. And I remember asking my, uh, some of the guys on the team that went back and the other team members that went back. And I was like, oh, I forget what the number of the bed was, but hey, do you, you know, how was the person at that bed, the one that I administered to? Like, oh, he wasn't there today. And it's this idea of like, you could see the, the physical body starting to wear down. I've been invited over to someone's home when their wife had just passed away and seeing what that was like for him and seeing what that was like for the family and just the the body that was there and just recognize there's a time when we stop breathing. There's a time where we won't smell or smile or sing. And yet, when we face that moment, we can do so, either with the fear of the unknown or faith in the known Savior of Jesus. Doesn't mean that everything's going to feel better right away, but we grieve, as Paul says in 1 Thessalonians 4, we grieve, but not as those who are without hope. Our world could be upside down, but we could still cling to the who of who Jesus is. So we fight up against it, about, against death. We could face death with faith or fear. And when we, whatever we choose puts us in this position where we are either living under the shadow of death or in the light of life. We are either in the shadow of death where that darkness consumes, overwhelms, and out of our grief we turn to addictions or to uh, uh, working too hard or apathy or whatever it is. We could turn to so many other things because the darkness looms over us and there's grief and there's different stages of that and there's different pain in that. Or we could acknowledge that the grief is real. We could acknowledge that we are right in the middle of Saturday today this Holy Saturday moment where we don't see the end of the story just like Jairus did it. Or we could say, what does it look like to live in light of who Jesus is and what he's done for us? We continue on, Mark chapter five. 
jumping down to verse 30, or sorry, 37. Jesus did not let anyone follow him except Peter, James, and John, the brother of James. When they came to the home of the synagogue leader, Jesus saw a commotion with people crying and wailing loudly. This idea of crying and wailing loudly, this, is, this was someone's actual profession where there would be professional mourners. That because Jairus was a high, well-known person within Capernaum, within the synagogue, it would be expected that there would be extra degree of mourning and crying and, and weeping in the midst of this. The Matthew 9 version talks about how there'd be musicians playing pipes or flutes, that there would be people who are beating their breasts to say, this is how awful this is. But these were people who were paid to help the mourning be loud to show the honor for the dead. And so the weeping and the mourning and the loud, it's, it's extremely loud. These are hired people that were coming and that's their job. You think some people have different side gigs where, oh, I'm going to do Uber. I'm going to do something else. I'm going to do Instacart. I'm going to do this. And these people are like, yeah, I'm professional mourners. You know, I have a lot of shirts that have holes in them because I rip them because I'm more. And it's just like, it's acknowledging this was a thing that people did because in their mind, this was a way to honor the dead and honor the family of the dead to show how much we are grieving the loss of your loved one. So he hears all this, people crying and wailing loudly. He says that he went in and said to them, why all this commotion and wailing? The child is not dead, but asleep. But they laughed at him. They mocked him. They derided him. These are people who said, I'm a professional at this. Jesus, I don't know what you do. Like you teach and you, maybe you help heal people and stuff. And I heard maybe something about a storm that you come, but, but let me handle the death business. This is what I do. I, I'm someone who plays the flute at these times. I'm the one who screams and wails and cries. So I think, Jesus, I think I know what death is better than you do. And so they laugh and they deride him, especially because he says they're asleep. And we start to see this verbiage in John chapter 11. He says, when he first talks about Lazarus dying, he says, Lazarus is not dead. He's asleep. Or he says he's asleep. And the people are like, well, if he's asleep, he'll wake up. He's like, okay, you're not getting, he's dead. But friends, you and I know that sleep is such a vital part of our lives, right? Like we spend, you know, before Netflix, people would spend a third of their life. Now it's like a fourth, maybe a fifth of their lives asleep. But it's this idea of what we, we acknowledge, that we need sleep. We don't fear sleep. Maybe thousands of years ago or in the past when you didn't know if there's going to be an invading group of people that were going to come, like there's a time where you would have watch at sleep. But now we, we don't have to fear it. So, what does it look like when, you know, when the, when, um, what does it look like when we have these moments where we just say, okay, we're not, death can be viewed as being asleep. So then what does that mean it's going to look like when we wake up again? We close our eyes here on earth and our bodies will no longer smell or smile or sing. But our souls, our souls live on our souls get to be able to open our eyes again and to be able to face that time either with the fear of the fact that we've been far from God. We never trusted him. We forsaked him. We mocked him. We derided him. And that moment is a moment of fear. Or with the faith of acknowledging that, yes, the shadow of death is real, but the light of Christ is so much brighter. We, 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 we can face that knowing that we're not alone. We continue on, starting in verse 40, part B. After he put them all out, he took the child's father and mother and the disciples who were with him 
and went in where the child was. He took her by the hand and said to her, Talitha kum, which means little girl, I say to you, get up. When uh, I wake up the girls for school, um, I'll go in there, and when I wake them up, I'll say, get up! No, I'm just kidding, that's mean. Um, I just say, good morning, Elise, happy to see you today. Good morning, Shaylin, happy to see you today. Did you sleep all right? And I picture this moment where it's like, little girl, it's time to get up. He takes her hand. I remember Shaylin was probably two, three, something like that. And I don't even know how we got on this topic, so try not to judge my parenting too harshly. But I remember she was talking, we were talking about death. And, um, but I remember she just said, Daddy, when, when I die, will you, will you be able to meet me and hold my hand as I go see Jesus? Because we didn't know what death is going to be like. But she said, I want to hold my dad's hand when I face the unknown. And I remember just the emotion of that moment. So I'm like, I don't even know what that would look like. Are we gonna be the same age in heaven? Am I gonna be like 10 feet tall? I mean, I just like, what does this look like to have a new body? What does it look like to, to be in this new heaven and this new earth? And, but what we did it, what we knew, and what she knew, was even though there was something she didn't know, and that might be fearful, she could hold on to the hand of one who loved her and that could give her faith, it would be okay. Jesus says, little girl, he takes her hand. Little girl, happy to see you today. Wake up, it's time to get up. Did you, have, did you sleep well? Did you have a good nap? And she gets up. Immediately, continue on. The girl stood up and began to walk around. So in other words, it shows it wasn't just that she woke up and was still ill. She was woken up and restored. She was fully healthy again. She was able to walk around. She was 12 years old. Remember, I mentioned that detail earlier. At this, they were completely astonished. Remember, this is Jairus, his wife, Peter, James, and John. There are five witnesses for this, and they were all completely astonished. He gave strict orders not to let anyone know about this and told them to give her something to eat. Jesus is really big in Mark about not telling, say, hey, don't tell people what happened. But how do you hide a dead girl come back to life? Like there was just wailing and, and flute playing and, and people hitting their chests. And it's like, oh no, no, she was just asleep. Or, I mean, how do you ignore the fact that she was dead and now she's walking around? What do you do with that? It's acknowledging the fact that he's saying, listen, the, 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 the power over death is something. He didn't want to just be known as a, a miracle worker who could do special things. He wanted people to know that the miracle here, yes, was raising her from the dead, absolutely unequivocally. But friends, you know who we haven't met yet? We haven't met this girl 2,000 years later. Why? Because even though she was raised from the dead, she, like us, eventually dies. So it's not like we have Lazarus walking around and this girl walking around like, man, here's, here's what was crazy. And it's been 2,000 years and I'm still here and I don't know how to use a cell phone, right? Like it's not, it's not that moment. Because even what Jesus undid by bringing her back to life still came to pass. She still died at some point. So the miracle is not just the fact that he raised her from the dead. Absolutely unequivocally, that is amazing. And it would have been an incredible, incredible moment. And it's also an incredible foreshadowing of what Jesus did for, him, for us through his life, death, and resurrection. 
Yaroslav Pelikan says this. He says, Christ comes in the world to teach men how to die, to accept their mortality, and by accepting it, to live through him. So instead of not talking about death, Jesus came and he showed us how to die well because he lived well because he loved well. In fact, Peter Roblin gives this exact dynamic here when he says, let's go to the next slide, please. Loving well allows us to live well. Living well prepares us to die well. Dying well produces new life. Every plant that you see was a seed that had to be buried and die in order to produce new life. So if we want to produce new life in our death, we want people to sit at our memorial service and to talk about the impact that you and I, that we had for the gospel because of our love for Jesus, our love for family, the way we cared about people. In order to die well and to produce that new life, excuse me, in order to produce that new life, we have to die well. In order to die well, we have to live well. In order to live well, we have to love well. So though we do not know the day nor the hour of our death, we can love well now. And in so doing, we can live well now. So that if God takes us in decades or in hours, our death would be able to produce new life. Why? Because Jesus conquered death. D.L. Moody says this when it comes to the shadow of death. The valley of the shadow of death holds no darkness for the child of God. There must be light, else there could be no shadow. Jesus is the light. He has overcome death. In order for there to be a shadow that's looming over you, there has to be a light behind it that gives that shadow its shape. And so the light that oversees and supersedes and overcomes death is Jesus behind so that death looms over us, but he's the light through which we can live. He's the one through which we have our hope. He's the one that we can hold on to because he's the who in the midst of our questions about why, when, and where. And we can recognize that he has overcome death. Death has no hold over us anymore. We can still be aware of it, talk about it, grieve it. But we don't have to have the same kind of fear that we once had. In fact, our closing point, kind of our uh, summarizing point here is that Jesus faced death so we wouldn't have to fear it. Jesus faced death so we wouldn't have to fear it. Jesus, the one who was there when all, everything was created, that in him and through him all things were made. Jesus, who was there when God shaped and breathed life into us so that we may have breath. Jesus is God, fully God, fully man, who at one point breathed his last. One point, he knew what it was like to suffer and to suffocate on that cross. He knew what it was like with every whip of the cat and nine tails, with every scratch of his back on the cross, with every step that he had to take in order to breathe before he suffocated. He knew what it was like with every droplet of blood that came when he was stressed and praying and filled with anxiety, every time that he felt a drip of the blood from the crown of thorns. He knows what it's like to breathe his last. And the people, his disciples, his mom who was there and John, they're looking and they're thinking, is this the last time? Mary thinks, is this the last time I'm going to see my son? She lives through Holy Saturday, a time of grief and waiting, yet it's not the end of the story. We see this here. Yes, death, Peter Roblin continues, death is an end, but it's also a beginning. Yes, there is a loss, but also surprising gain. It is sad and mourning is appropriate and needed, but there's also joy. Now, this isn't to rush you through grief, right? Like we talked about grief a few months ago. This isn't to say, oh, hey, 
Someone you love has passed away. Yes, they love Jesus. Therefore, you must feel better now. It's to say there's grief and you sit in that and you acknowledge the pain of the past, the heartache of the present and the longing for the future that's changed now. We get that. And it's not diminishing that. But what it's saying is at the end of our time of grief, and grief, again, doesn't just feel better. It's, it's that we grow around our grief in time. But what helps us to grow is knowing that Jesus faced death so that we wouldn't have to fear it. In fact, Paul says this in 1 Corinthians 15. Where, O death, is your victory? Where, O death, is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, he gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. It's saying that because Jesus died, because he provided the victory for all those who confess with their mouth and believe in their hearts that Jesus is Lord, that they surrender their lives to him, that they get baptized and they're raised to new life, when they acknowledge the fact of who Jesus truly is, that they're able to say, death hurts but death is not victorious. There's a sting to it, but it's not everlasting. And we mourn those we love dearly. But it also gives us the peace that if we know Jesus, and if we share Jesus, and if those we love most love Christ, then we'll see them again. But death doesn't have to be the end. It's the beginning of a new story. C.S. Lewis in The Last Battle, um, which is the final book, Chronicles of Narnia, um, came out like 70 years ago. So if I say something that happened, I'm like, it's spoiler alert, but you know, it's been a while. So at the very end, there's just a section that talks about what it's like after death. It says, all their life in this world and all their adventures in Narnia had only been the cover and the title page. Now at last, they were beginning chapter one of the great story, which no one on earth has read, which goes on forever, in which every chapter is better than the one before. Imagining the life that we've had here on earth is just the cover page. It's just saying, hey, who's the author of our story, Jesus? What's the t- how has God worked in our life? And then we get to experience eternity, going as the, the unicorn in that, pa- in that um, book says, further up and further in. The more that we know about Jesus, the more we spend time with him eternity, the more we get to enjoy his presence. Now, I, friends, I tell you, I cannot fathom. I don't understand. I have eternity in my heart, but I can't understand the actual dynamic of forever. Like thinking about being with Jesus forever, I'm like, I don't even know what that's like. Because I think our time is passing. I think there's times when I'm like, okay, you know, I've been listening to the sermon for 46 minutes and now I'm a little bored. This feels like it's going on forever. Like, is that what it's like? No. You guys laughed a little too hard at that. I'm just saying, um, just kidding. But it's this acknowledgement, right? That like our definition of time passing is irrelevant in heaven. A day for him is like a thousand years and a thousand years is like a day. We might just show up and say hi to him and down here and on earth a thousand years. But we don't know. But what we do know is that if Jesus faced death so we wouldn't have to fear it, what we do know is that we can face now death with either faith in him or fear of the darkness. What we do know is that how we live here determines how well we die and how that impacts those we love most. And if dying well produces new growth, then loving well produces, helps us to die well, then we can do that now, today. And we are preparing for our deaths by loving and living well today by surrendering our wants and putting others' needs above our own today, by making things right 
with those with whom you have conflict today. Because you don't know when you'll be gone. You don't know when they'll be gone. You don't want to live with regrets of that brokenness. Henry Nouwen closed here with this final quotation, says this, your death and mine are our final passage, our exodus to the full realization of our identity as God's beloved children. Think about that. We fear death, but death, when we have a relationship with Jesus, is when we finally, truly, fully realize how much God truly does love us. It's when all the garbage and the noise of what others think, of all these other things, of all the temptations and distractions and frustrations and tribulations of this world are all eroded away. And he takes your hand and he says, good to see you this morning. Happy to see you. Did you sleep okay? Welcome to the rest of your life. Welcome to the rest of your story. Welcome to eternity with me. We fill full communion with the God of love. Jesus walked the path ahead of us and he invited us to choose the same path during our lifetime. He calls to us, follow me. And he answers us, do not be afraid. I've been there. I faced it so that you don't have to be afraid of it. This is our faith. But Jesus did that for you and for me while we were still sinners. He died for us. Everyone dies but will we live in such a way that we die well, live well, love well, and help those around us do the same so that we can see them once again and, you know, at some point when I die and when Shaylin dies, maybe I'll be able to hold her hand and we'll be able to experience the next chapter together. Heavenly Father, I thank you for each person who's part of our service today, whether live on person, live in line. Lord, and acknowledging again that this is a, a weighty, difficult topic for us. Acknowledging, Lord, that many of us are various degrees of mourning and navigating loss and death and loved ones. So, Lord, I pray that you would comfort us. And, Lord, if, again, if nothing else made sense, Lord, may you, may you speak and may you comfort and may you help us to remember how deeply loved we truly are. Lord, I thank you for this time. I thank you for each person who's part of our service today. We love you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to the podcast. We want to be a church where people are changed by God to change the world. If you want to partner with us in this way, you can start by doing these two things. The first, if you haven't subscribed to this podcast, you can do that by hitting the subscribe button wherever you're listening so you can stay connected with us and we can broaden our reach. And the second, and this might be the most important thing you do, share this message with someone you know. And as always, remember, you are prayed for, cared for, and loved. See you next time.